did she do? Women Jekka, hello. I am Samsara and you are listening to What Did She Do? Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge this podcast is created in Nam on Boon lands and thank them for allowing us to tell our stories here. What Did She Do? is a weekly podcast which features reviews written by myself and keeps you up to date with live theatre and events in Melbourne. It drops every Sunday. Roald Dahl's Fantastic Mr. Fox has hit the comedy theatre and runs to the 21st of January. No one outfoxes a fox. Tickets via marinagroup.com. Melbourne Theatre Company has opened 17, a wild and wise vision of adolescence where youth maturity intermingle in every moment. The season runs through to the 17th of February and tickets can be purchased through mtc.com.au. Dickens Street, the other, opens at the Latvian House on the 16th of January and runs through to the 20th. Opening nights are dramatic, but this one takes the cake. To book, go to theatreworks.org.au. All the rest opens at Theatreworks on the 16th as well and runs through to the 20th. A failed art gallery proposal and four house parties all on the same night. Bookings via theatreworks.org.au Hope Hunt and the Ascension into Lazarus comes to Dan's house on the 17th and 18th of January. Masculinity, testosterone, social class, identity, football, allegiance, religion, aggression. The id of the Northern Irish Chav is broken down and raised again in Hope Hunt and the Ascension into Lazarus. Bookings at dancehouse.com.au It will be hot summer nights at Gasworks from the 23rd of January to the 5th of February. This outrageous adults-only circus cabaret show features a brand new hand-picked cast of Australia's top circus performers and is hosted by the brilliant multi-award winning cabaret star Tash York. Tickets through eventfinder.com.au. Groundhog Day the Musical is playing for 13 weeks at the Princess Theatre from the 24th of January. This brilliant new production is based on the classic movie and is a parable of love, hope and transformation. For all bookings and inquiries, Call 1300 111 Trans Woman Kills Influencer opens at La Mama Courthouse on the 27th of January and runs through to February 4. This show combines videos and theatre to present a thrilling murder mystery. To book tickets, head to lamama.com.au. Coming back to Melbourne stages is Declan Green's Home Economics. Real food, real mess and a sickly saturated design. This show runs from the 30th of January to the 3rd of February at the Explosives Factory. Bookings through theatreworks.org.au. On the 1st of February, a Rational Fear podcast is celebrating its 100,404th download at the Malthouse Outdoor Stage. A Rational Fear brings together Australia's best comedians and experts to laugh at the world around them. Tickets via malthousetheatre.com.au Queer Out West is a site takeover at Footscray Community Arts Centre on the 3rd of February. This event is free and includes exhibitions, screenings and live music. Bookings are essential through footscrayarts.com Tell me, boy, why are you still with me? I can't do this no more. All I want to do is flee. 
Rouge opens at Gasworks on the 6th of February and runs through to the 10th. Circus for grown-ups. Bookings via eventfinder.com.au. Victorian Opera brings Candida to the Palais from the 8th to the 10th of February. Voltaire's satirical tale of mindless optimism springs to life through a brilliant score from famed West Side Story composer Leonard Bernstein. Tickets can be booked at victorianopera.com.au. Meg Washington is performing with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra on the 9th of February. Meg's highly influential genre-defying work has inspired a generation of music fans. Bookings via mso.com.au. The Rocky Horror is back in Australia and takes residence at the Athenaeum from the 9th of February with Jason Donovan as Frankenfurter and Joel Creasy as the narrator. It's astounding! Time is fleeting! Madness takes its toll! But listen closely! Rocky Horror Show tells the story of Brad and his fiancée Janet, two squeaky clean college kids who meet Dr. Frankenfurter, an extraterrestrial mad scientist from the galaxy of Transylvania, where people really like to party. Tickets are on sale now at rockyhorror.com.au. The Main Illusion exhibition takes residence at Arts House from the 19th of February to the 23rd of March. This is a hot and humid installation of Philippine sound, video and performance inspired by videoki in the Philippines. Bookings through artshouse.com.au. Flamenco Dancer is happening at Gasworks from the 20th to the 24th of February. Flamenco Dancer is an inspired, powerful and elegant show of flamenco dance and guitar. Bookings at gasworks.org.au. Puccini in the Park is playing at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl on the 21st of February, Giacomo Puccini composed some of the most enduringly popular operas. This concert is free and no bookings are required. Marie's Crisis returns to the common rooms from the 23rd to the 25th of February. What better way to start thinking about the new year than by locking in a riotous evening of tunes and tinkling ivories. Bookings through melbournefringe.com.au The Hate Race opens at the Beckett Theatre on the 23rd of February and runs through to the 17th of March. The Hate Race is an unflinching exploration of the complexities of race in a Australia. Bookings through malthousetheatre.com.au. Gaslight opens at the Comedy Theatre from the 6th to the 17th of March 2024. Young, trusting and fragile, Bella Manningham thinks she's losing her mind. Tickets via marinagroup.com.au. Rejoiceify Melbourne, Wicked is back long before Dorothy dropped in. Two other young women meet in the land of Oz. Performances at the Regent Theatre commence from the 6th of March 2024. Bookings by ticketech.com.au or phone 1300 111 
Ribbon Kay is performing Apocalyptic at the Malthouse from the 28th of March to the 21st of April. Part eulogy, part allergy, part Eastern Block Dog Day afternoon. Bookings at malthousetheatre.com.au brings Irish dance sensation Airborne back to Australia. The wait is finally over for all the fans who have anticipated seeing this incredible show. The tour kicks off on April 18 and will do 22 shows across Australia. Tickets are on sale at melonevents.com. Piaf will be at the Palms at Crown on the 16th and 17th of May 2024. This celebrated production tells the story of Edith Piaf's career through her unforgettable songs, including La Vie en Rose, in an original scenography with projections of images of Edith Piaf never before published. Parle tout bas, je vois la vie en rose. Allez, venez, Milor, vous avez l'air d'un môme. Laissez-vous faire, Milor, venez dans mon royaume. Non, rien de rien. Non. via theprestigeevents.com.au Finally, Sunset Boulevard opens on the 21st of May 2024 and stars international superstar Sarah Brightman. This will be a brand new lavish production of the Tony Award winning musical. Tickets can be booked at sunsetmusical.com.au started for me at TheatreWorks with the Freshworks season and specifically I went and saw Claire Come Home. The show is no longer open but I still thought I'd share my review with you. You might think seeing a show which is billed as being about someone who tried to commit suicide is a bleak way to start the new year but fret not dear pundits Claire Come Home playing at TheatreWorks is rather surprisingly not about Claire at all. In fact the script really doesn't reveal Claire until around 10 minutes in. Rather this newest black comedy by Amelia Newman is more of an interrogation about the holes caused by unexpected absences and the way the people standing next to those holes try and make sense of the inky abyss and the people they suddenly find themselves standing next to. Claire is the central character of Claire Come Home, only in the sense that she is the centre point of the two characters we meet on stage. Jared, Sam Dolan, is Claire's live-in boyfriend. 
Beth, Lucy Orr, is their housemate and has been Claire's best friend since grade 7. Anyone who's lived in share housing knows this is a recipe for disaster, but the play starts in the simple space of housemate untidiness, who drank the last of the milk without replacing it, and you owe me your share of the cost of dot dot dot. Everything seems pretty normal. Eventually we come to learn Claire is in a hospital because she attempted suicide and suddenly all of those little irritations start to reveal nuances of tension, worry, confusion and pain. Claire Come Home is written in the picaresque style using short and sharp scenes which director Sarah Hartnell interrupts with blackouts and the sound of camera shutters which is designed to give us the sense of flicking through a photo book of moving images, social media reels perhaps, which is reminiscent of the 1970s but stays just the right side of contemporary, just. This photo album construct is reflected in the white geometric borders of an alcove style set which mimics the white borders you used to get on old photographs and which in the digital era you can add as a filter to your JPEGs. There is no design credit for this show. Within that frame is a kitchenette and a large sofa barely remaining upright as a two metre pile of unfolded laundry at one end threatens to tip itself and the couch over. We've all met that pile of laundry, admit it. Jared spends a lot of time pedantically trying to defeat that pile of laundry. Beth spends a lot of time jumping around it, restlessly and completely ignoring it. Jared and Beth appear to have been housemates for a while, but with the connecting presence of Claire missing from their lives for now, these two people have to finally spend time facing each other instead of her and find out who they really are. Along the way, Newman looks at questions of contagious ideation, endemic emotional isolation, and follows a range of ideological and cultural links to the questions of death and life. This is not a straightforward journey and tries to activate postmodernist linkages between radical concepts. Whilst not always successful, there are certain ideas and themes which will excite post-show discussion, including Roland Barthes, Samuel Beckett, Mary Shelley, Julia Gillard, Dead Wildlife and Lost Jewelry, amongst other stuff. The lightness this kind of philosophical leaping brings helps keep the pace and tone upbeat, but it also makes the play feel longer than it actually is. I would love to weigh in on the debates, but this essay would never end, and if this is what I find myself talking about, then I start to question whether the point of the play has become too obscure, or alternatively, the play has no point. Did Bart's win the day, or has Newman misinterpreted his concepts as an underlying principle of semiotics? Regardless, this would be a much stronger work if there were some longer scenes which allowed the important interpersonal issues people face when they are connected to a person who finally decides that they are not coping and try a radical solution. I wanted a deeper exploration of ideation transference of the conflict facing Jared because of the similarities of mannerisms between Claire and Beth, of how and why both of them are using obsession to manage their emotions. Claire Come Home has the potential to be a powerful work if Newman can find their way out of the obsession with art and focus on story. In many ways, I think this is what I was trying to say about their other play, The World According to Dinosaurs too. Whilst I always rail against couches taking centre stage, Hartnell has been careful to ensure that the object is used in as many ways as possible, and so I forgive. Or really takes this as a personal challenge, and I don't think I've seen the human body take on so many shapes as she struggles to settle herself. Or has amazing performance skills, including body, face, and vocal dynamics and texture. I would say though that her next stage of professional development needs to be voice training. The people past the first row need to hear all the lines, 
Luckily, this show has surtitles for accessibility because even in the fourth row, I was struggling to catch all her lines. Dolan is a much more centred performer and is a nice foil to Orr's manic pixie dream girl energy. Claire Come Home suffers slightly from its unfortunate low budget, but you certainly get a sense of the intense visuals Newman must have been imagining as they wrote. There is, as advertised, blood dripping down the walls, but it is very underwhelming and I was curious about lighting designer Hannah Willoughby's choice to go with pink rather than the command of a deep blood red. This is not a play for subtleties, although I loved the absence of a smoke machine. If you come and see Claire Come Home, you return to a time in theatre when it was about the actors and the stage and not about toxic wisps of distraction everywhere you look. Okay, I admit it, I really wanted smoke to ooze from the couch in the Frankenstein scene. Claire Come Home is a great start to 2024 Melbourne theatre year. The ideas are strong, performances are strong and production values are high within budget constraints. Newman is a playwright who will have a long career creating powerful theatre. They just have to shake off those trying too hard mittens which we all have when we begin creating our art. The art of semiotics is to engage in communication through the use of signs and symbols common to both sender and receiver. The Bart's discussion in this play is accurate but without context. What matters most is what the receiver takes from the signal. But what is the point of the writer if there is no idea to be transferred? On the other hand, Beckett had no concept of a world where man and woman were not biologically defined, so how can his waiting for Godot restrictions even have any meaning in 2024? And was Frankenstein the monster or the scientist? Oh dear, my head hurts. And this is why you have to see this play. And I gave it 3.5 stars. And just as an aside, I gave TheatreWorks a 500 star rating for their commitment to accessibility for this show. This should be the minimum standards for every theatrical event. And now it's time for some industry news. La Mama Emerge will launch this year. This fully funded program for theatre makers aged 18 to 26 will run throughout the 2024 winter season as part of La Mama Theatre's Pathways program and will be free for participants to attend. The program's goal is to provide young artists with dedicated time and space to make and develop their own work for those unable to access tertiary or traditional theatre studies. Emerge can be an entry point into the theatre. Emerge will run over 10 weeks with weekly workshops on Saturdays from the 20th of July to the 14th of September. The program will culminate in a week's intensive from the 16th to the 22nd of September with an outcome at La Mama Courthouse. The guest theatre artists facilitating Emerge in 2024 are Liv Satchel and Xanthi Beasley. Across the 10 weeks, Liv and Xanthi will share their individual and shared practices in devising generative writing, movement and dramaturgy. They'll lead participants in theatre making experiments that we together body and text to create an original work. Liv Satchel is an award-winning theatre maker, writer and facilitator. Her practice focuses on building community platforms for independent artists to share practice, on new writing development and producing original work through her company VIMH, The Voice in My Hands. Xanthi Beasley is a performance maker, community facilitator and movement director. Her work ranges from movement direction for theatre to devising original performance and facilitating programs which offer space for creativity and connection. She is the Artistic Director of Union House Theatre. Expressions of interest for Emerge will open from the 1st of May 2024 and will close on the 31st of May. Successful applicants will be notified by the 15th of June. Please send any questions regarding the program to Miff Powell, the Development and Pathways Manager at MIF, that's M-Y-F, at lamama.com.au. 
Our very first something special for 2024 is something special indeed. Today I have with me two of the creative leads for the new upcoming show at La Mama, Trans Woman Kills Influencer. We have Dex Carne and Emmanuel Matana. Is that how you say it? Matana? Uh, close enough. Emmanuel, Manuel. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emma, um, Emmanuel, you're the director and Dax, you're the writer. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Excellent. So, Dax, why don't we just begin with you just telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Oh, so I'm Dax. Um, I've been a practicing creative for a very long time, but um, I just got back into it when I moved to Melbourne four years ago so i started getting back into theater and performing and writing and uh, yeah so it's pretty much it (laughs) to say okay no that's a good start where'd you move to melbourne from oh yeah i I moved from i moved from manila from manila the philippines melbourne yeah okay fantastic and is there anything in the time you've been back that we might have seen you in or heard you performing in or Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, last year, also at Midsummer, I debuted my first ever Australian work and acted in it called The Six Guys an Immigrant Trans Person of Color Will Date in Melbourne. Oh, so, I love the title. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that also was at La Mama for Midsummer last year. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it went pretty well. That's why I guess they gave me another slot. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, well, I can already tell you're the master of titles, show titles. <laughs> I'm really bad at it. And then just like people think it's like, it's really bad, but is it good? Because no. it's really bad. <laughs> They're great. Yeah. And so also directing this masterpiece, we have Emmanuel. Emmanuel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit like Dax in that I've sort of had a creative life dabbling in lots of different things. Uh, started out as an actor in kids' TV land then started uh, directing screen stuff and then wrote my first play recently, uh, which was called Trophy Boys, which we did at Midsummer last year. Zach and I actually met through a playwriting program at Malthouse. Uh, so it was part of the Emerging Writers Group that they do there. Mm-hmm. And we just got along. And then Dax said, do you want to direct some theatre? And I said, yeah, sure, I do. While Uh, watching a show. Don't forget, while watching a fringe show. While watching a very good pony cam show. Um, (gasps) Pony cam show. So you got your creative juices flowing and... and, uh, Exactly. So, um, yeah, I'm very, very grateful to her for it. The show that you have coming up at La Mama, Trans Woman Kills Influencer, Mm -hmm. opens on what date? 27th, yeah. And closes on the 4th. Okay, 27th of January, everyone, so you got a book now. Okay, yes. Dax, perhaps we, we should start with you just giving us a little bit of a synopsis of what the story is. Well, this famous men's right influencer all of a sudden goes missing, <gasps> and the internet goes wild. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't know where this influencer has went. And then some um, pap shots, paparazzi shots, and some uh, rumors online mill that he's actually in this uh, covert relationship with a powerful businesswoman. So now everybody on the internet are thinking that the powerful businesswoman has something to do with his disappearance and thinks that she murdered him. This uh, this powerful woman is a trans woman. And so, so much of the play is about that sort of discourse playing out and how that uh, lands in the men's rights space. Okay, so this is uh, the, the trans woman part of it is really integral to the intentions of the piece. 100%. It's really a, a lot about what we know about trans women and what's yes. fed to us and what we perceive trans women are. 
So um, yeah, the play very much explores that that our perceptions change depending on our values and who we like more or who we hate more and how we react to that. You know, I was reading that you're using the Rashomon effect in this play, which uh, for people who aren't familiar with that term, it comes from a 1950s Japanese film and it's about telling a story, the same story from many different perspectives. Dax, can you sort of speak to how and why you you chose that particular vehicle? Um, If you ask a person what they think about trans people, depending on who they on where they're from or where they grew up or who they're with or what they do for a living or even which suburb they live at, they will have a very different perspective on them. So it's like technically we're talking about this same group of people, but some people think they're evil. Some people think they're actual people. Some people are just like, as long as they don't involve my children. And mm-hmm. that, so, but it's the same thing. Yes. So um, I chose the Rashomon effect just to showcase that how our values might affect what is actually the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, are we putting people into pedestals or are we uh, crucifying them for nothing? Because that's what we think they are without actually knowing enough about it. And also relates to what we know. So a, a bunch uh, uh, the play also dabbles mm-hmm. on the, the thought of how media and social media feeds our knowledge about certain things. If that's all you are going to learn from, you're not going to learn a lot. <laughs> Depends on what you get. That's the perception. That's the knowledge yeah. you're going to give. So a certain element of this is kind of the what goes in is what comes out. So, you know, like with Facebook yeah. algorithms and stuff where you just see stuff yeah. Facebook thinks you want to see. If yeah. that's all that you've got coming in as your intellectual diet, then that's going to yeah. be your social attitude. 100%. So within the play... We have three very different, uh, very different and strong personas telling the same stories. Um, and, and when you watch the play, you will notice like this is the same story, but there is so much difference in the way that it's presented to us just because of the values of the person who's telling it. So, Emmanuel, as the director, then I guess part of your job is to sort of help interpret that for an external eye that doesn't sort of have all the background and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, what are the challenges that you've been faced with the different perspectives that Dex has written into the script in terms of keeping it real and making it human and how the audience will access it? Yeah, well, something that's been really interesting with the cast and the kind of ongoing challenge but also excitement of rehearsals is that not only do these wonderful actors uh, have to create a character, but they actually have to create three characters because they're creating three different versions of themselves when they perform each time. Oh, of course, I hadn't thought about that. So it's been really exciting, for example, um, one character, Jen, who is a high-profile cis woman, uh, businesswoman and former best friend of Denise, our lead, who Dax plays so brilliantly, she sort of appears in very different ways depending on the perspective. So from one character's perspective, she's sort of perceived as this like cold, callous businesswoman. From another perspective, she's sort of self-pitying and self-righteous and sad and, you know, beautiful and gentle. And it's really interesting to see that I think especially like the way these characters appear is so shaped to the way that we perceive gender I think all four of, so it's an ensemble of four. Uh, We have the men's rights activist, uh, Alejandro, and then we have Denise, who's played by Dax. Uh, We have Jen, who's the high-flying corporate businesswoman. Uh, And we have Brile, who is a drag queen and makeup guru on YouTube. And I think 
in in a, in a really interesting way, each of these characters is saying something about gender, whether it's that they're hyper-feminine or that they're hyper-masculine or whether they're sort of transgressing those in a different way. And so I think it's exactly what Dax was talking about of, yeah, how do we choose to interpret this? Who do we trust and who do we believe when all of these things are at play and our own values and perceptions are being projected? Are all four characters extremes that are colliding in, in this story or is there more nuance to that or is that what happens because of the Rashomon effect? Does the nuance yeah. come through the Rashomon? I think what's really interesting is that the characters begin that way and I think yeah. it's really, it's a real commentary on and, and a great testament to Dax's brilliant writing that these characters sort of start as these archetypes that we mm. think we know and we think we understand and there's a simplicity to them and actually as the show progresses that that nuance builds and we sort of realise that people aren't just who we think they are, who they say that they are, and that maybe the way that the internet is sort of dressing them up isn't that truthful. That seems so exciting to me because we all know that nobody is just kind of one thing. Um, And the fact that this script has the layers that allows some of that stuff that's quite often hidden to come through. Now, onto more practical matters. So this is a mystery story from an artistic perspective. Is it going to be sort of film noir or what's your artistic approach to how you're physically going to tell the story in the space? No, yeah. Well, what's really interesting is actually the way the story is told varies based on who's telling it. And so each of the versions of the Rashomon effect are different. Um, We do have really exciting set stuff coming in. It's got a little bit of a film noir influence. that uh, the designer? Uh, the wonderful Felipe Filahia. So we have some really cool stuff going on there um, and a lot of projected stuff in the space. Um, and so we're basically incorporating all these different film bits in different genres into the theatre piece as well. Just out of curiosity, was that part of Dex what you wrote in or has that come out of the process? Um, actually, it was a part of the script originally that uh, one of the values that the script when I wrote it is that what we present to the media, what we mm-hmm present on socials or on the internet are very different from what actually we do in real life. So a big chunk of the piece is this character's talking to their audience. So like the YouTuber, uh, to TV, to Mm -hmm. TikTok, to stuff like that. And um, uh, M masterfully managed all of this in some way. Like they even had an actual shoot day just to shoot um, the film aspects of the play, which is which is a significant chunk of it. And uh, that now weaves the story together. If you just watch all the social, the film stuff, which is like a direct correlation of what you see on, let's say, on the internet, you will have already an assumption. But if you watch the play with the film stuff, then it makes sense like, oh, okay, this is actually what happened. Emmanuel, I guess that uh, brings forward another question. I mean, you have a film background and you have mm. more recently sort of been having your amazing forays into theatre. Um, <laughs> and I'm uh, just wondering, like, uh, coming into directing this, how much of it were you approaching with your filmic background and experience and how much of it were you sort of thinking in terms of live theatre? I mean, I think both and the approach is different when you're directing the, the theatre components as opposed to the film stuff. I think yes. the thing that was actually the most useful for me was the background that I have as an actor. I, I think I'm probably very much a, an, actor, an actor's director as opposed to a, I mean, all the design team will be like, will, will attest to that because they sort of go, so what do you want, Emmanuel, visually or sonically? And I'll be like, 
creative freedom, guys, do what you want. <laughs> sometimes they love me for it and sometimes they're like, that's not an answer. But the real joy has been working with all the cast who are so amazing and my approach, like especially having worked in a lot of kids' space, leading from a place of play and comedy and I think our rehearsals are all really fun. Uh, we have lots of like little games we do now. I introduced Dax to the moo-off, uh, which oh my is... Gosh. Well, you've mentioned it now. You have to tell us what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the moo-off, uh, it's just a little something to make sure we're not corpsing on stage because obviously that's <laughs> a very, very funny shit, uh, so we can't be laughing on stage. And basically two actors get on all fours and face each other and just moo at each other like cows until one of them laughs. I always break during rehearsal, especially when uh, one of our castmates do something funny and I would break. I'm not a mean director, even though I'm making the move. We're, um, we're, we're having lots of fun. Rehearsals are very silly. <laughs> Dax, when you chose to write this story and do it this way, did you have um, a leading intention in terms of a message that you wanted your audiences to receive or a specific thing you wanted to show or highlight and bring out in that way that theatre does? Uh, so my practice is really heavily based on personal experience. Before I became a, an actor and a theatre practitioner, I used to actually run marketing and advertising agencies. That was my old job. And I know the struggle of getting there and getting to the top. And then moving here to Australia, thinking it was progressive. And then one mm. afternoon, I see a turf rally at the parliament with Nazis on it. And I'm like, this is horrible. How can people think of this? And then it just came to me that, um, that uh, of course, what people are seeing in the media is reflective of their values now. I also wanted to write a flawed trans character. I know it's a bit forward because like there are barely any trans characters on stage and screen already. And all the more people are afraid to write them or put it in, put them in unless they are trans or yes. queer or gender diverse. So there's not much. And then but the the ending is when some some when some people write trans characters they they're too pristine. They end up being uh, two dimensional. I wanted yeah. to write a trans character who is actually flawed. <laughs> yeah, an actual person like yes. who might have might have or might have not done some shady stuff who yeah. might have or might have not stepped some people to get to the top um but does that make them a bad person or does that make them a good person does the intention of doing something good negates the process of getting there if a trans woman does it is it different when a cis woman a cis mm -hmm. woman does it i really focus on the marginalized communities and generally in society, it's the marginalized groups that the ruling class would hit against each other to fight for their their moral yes. minority states. If people just generally they just like talk it out and find out that actually we're both being oppressed, maybe we can yes. actually do something about it rather than fighting for the amazing male straight gaze that this yeah. people would give us. Emmanuel, I'm going to ask a similar question, slightly different bits. So coming into this process, did you have a specific intention or message that you were looking to highlight? As a director, your job is always to serve the work as opposed to, you know, putting anything on it. And I'm so lucky that the script has so much in it. I think my approach to all work and and what I kind of say my thing is, is I'm really interested in where the playful meets the political. I think yes. that if you welcome an audience with fun and joy, 
then it's easier to have the more important conversations underneath it. Um, And I think that's so, so true of this story. But it's also true of what is sort of familiar and and unfamiliar. In some ways, the story is, you know, so radical and, and the politic it's talking about so important and so contemporary. And in other ways, it's a story that is, you know, really familiar and really fun. We all love murder mysteries. We all know them. We all have this, like, relationship to them. It's such a a great storytelling vessel. And so I think that was always my approach is, like, how do we make this show the best it can be? Let's think about it as a murder mystery, as a really fun piece of theatre, and trust that when we get to the end, all the politics is going to be there. Do you want to give us a bit of a roundup of who the amazing creatives and actors you have on the team? We have the wonderful Dax Carnet playing Denise. Uh, we have Hima De Silva playing Jen. We have Pat Twee Carver playing Alejandro. And we have Ryan Henry playing Ryle. I am directing. The wonderful Finn McLeish is stage managing. Felipe Filahia is set and costume designing. Kiara Wenban is lighting designer. Lara Gabor is production and AV designing. Justine Javier Long is producing. Owen Kelly is doing sound design. I think uh, Jordan Hanrahan is doing our graphics design and some animations in the film. Shea Fulmino is doing marketing and PR. And Jacob Agius did some sound recording for our film. What dates is it on at La Mama? Is it, it's at the courthouse, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Courthouse, everyone, not La Mama HQ. It's part of Midsummer Festival 2024. It's on January 27th till Feb 4th. Tickets are via lamama.com.au. So to finish, here's a recap of what you can experience in Melbourne this week. Roald Dahl's Fantastic Mr Fox is playing at the Comedy Theatre stage until the 21st of January. Tickets via marinagroup.com. Melbourne Theatre Company is presenting 17 until the 17th of February. Tickets can be purchased through mtc.com.au. Dickens Street, the other, opens at TheatreWorks on the 16th of January and runs through to the 20th. To book, go to theatreworks.org.au. And Hope Hunt and the Ascension into Lazarus comes to Dance House on the 17th and 18th of January. Bookings at dancehouse.com.au What Did She Do is created by myself, Samsara, and drops every Sunday. Also, if you like a bit of audio fiction in your podcast mix, you can check my other podcast, Samsara's Dramas, scripts straight from my pen to your ears by an amazing ensemble of actors. Let's catch up again next week. What Did She Do?